Good morning. Today's reading is from John 14, uh, verses 23 and 24. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. We'll continue on with our uh, sermon series for January, which is called Full Devotion to God. And as a way of reminder, uh, our objective for this sermon series uh, is to focus our energies for in 2019 and beyond to giving our Heavenly Father, our God, our total and utter loyalty, love, and enthusiasm. That's the whole point of what we're trying to do here. And uh, last week we said that it is impossible for us to fully devote ourselves to something that we do not really fully understand or know. So last week we talked about our relationship with God. So that was part one. So today is part two. We're going to talk further about our relationship with God. And essentially we're going to build upon what we learned last week. That before we can really devote ourselves to God, we need to understand the covenant relationship that God desires for us. And in, in Jeremiah chapter uh, 13, verse 30, 33, we saw the kind of relationship that God desires to have with us. And that's what we talked about last week. And I'm going to sort of revisit that again today. So last week we said, and we quoted what God wanted from us. He said, He wants, he wants uh, us to be His people and, to be, and, and Him to be our God. That is, want, that is what He wanted from us. And what we're going to do today is we're really going to understand. Like, this is the key to really focusing our attention and our devotion to God. To understand, first and foremost, that He is God and we are His people. Why is that important? Because sometimes we, you know, us being people, sometimes we're selfish and we think, well, you know, we're not, we don't say that we are God, but by our actions we think that we are God. We don't do what He tells us to do, we tell Him what we want Him to do. And so we do our own thing, right? This is key. If we're going to devote ourselves to God, we need to make sure and understand that we revere Him as our God, Lord over us, and we are His people doing His will. Not our will, but His will. So this morning, we're going to learn more about who God is. So we're going to talk about, in our lesson today, two points again. We're going to talk about God, and we're going to talk about us as people. Specifically, we're going to find out a few things about God. We're going to talk about the nature of God, and then our response in relation to the nature of God. And in that way, we can really understand what it's like to completely give God our, our undivided devotion, our full devotion, our loyalty, our love, and our enthusiasm for Him. So, let's start. The nature of God. Uh, the Bible tells us a lot about God. And what I'm going to do here is I'm going to give us three attributes of God that are key in really, uh, in what, in our, in, in our uh, to achieve our objective for this sermon series, for us to really focus our energies to devoting ourselves to Him. Because 
We are going to serve God the way in which we know him. Okay, let me paraphrase that. I'm going to be a Christian in a manner in, in, in which I view God. I'm going to give him what I think he wants. You know what I'm saying? If I do not know him completely as I should, then my work, my service as part of his people is not going to be complete as well. But if I know him completely as he is, what he would like from me, his nature, his attributes, then I know how I need to act as a member of his kingdom. That is the whole premise. So we need to understand him. We need to know what God is like. The first nature of God that I would like to share with you today is the fact that God is holy. In um, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, we read, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. In here, we see that God is not only holy, he's not only holy, holy, but he is holy, holy, holy. Because we understand that in the Hebrew language, um, intensity is communicated by repeating the words. Right? But here we understand that God is the holiest. Here we understand that God is holy in the highest degree possible. But what does holiness mean? What does it mean that God is holy? Well, literally the word holy means to be set apart. God is set apart from all creation. He is on a league of his own. We can't compare him to anything. He is not subject to anything. He is holy. I don't know how else to say that. He is holy. That is why in Revelation 15:4 we read this. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? Look at the next line. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. He is perfect. When we are face to face with the holiness of God, we cannot help but think how pure he is, how morally pure and upright he is. And this is exactly what happened with Isaiah. So going back to this verse in Isaiah chapter 6, in the first few verses of Isaiah 6, Isaiah had a vision. This is part of the vision that Isaiah saw. Isaiah saw God sitting on his throne with seraphim, which are majestic winged beings in heaven, saying to one another that God is holy, holy, holy. So in the vision of Isaiah, he saw how holy God was. So if you were Isaiah and you saw this vision, you saw God sitting on his throne, all these beings telling, you know, telling one another how holy he is, how would you feel? What would you think? What would be your reaction and I thought about that. Maybe what I was probably, I would prostrate myself and say, God, you are amazing. I would be in awe. But not Isaiah. He didn't think that. The first thing that he thought was this. In Isaiah 6, verse 5, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost. Face to face with the holiness of God, Isaiah saw how pure and holy he was. God was, and how utterly miserable and lost he is. Did you see that? And then he says, For I am a man of unclean lips, 
And one of the things that he saw and equated his unholiness with is this, what he says with his mouth, just like us. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, not just him, but the, all of his people are not clean. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When we are face to face with the holiness of God, we know exactly where we stand, what we look like in front of God. Unholy, unclean. But listen to this. Because God is holy, what does he expect from us as his people? See, this is important for us to know if we are going to devote ourselves fully to God. Right? Some of you are probably thinking what what I'm going to show here next. It is true. God, we need to understand that God is holy because there's no sin in him. Um, look at this. Psalm 5, 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell in you. How much sin dwells in God? Nothing. And again, the question. Since we understand now that God is holy, what does he expect from us as his people? Well, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.16, as he quotes God himself in Leviticus, be holy, for I am holy. This is what God wants from us. He wants us to be holy. You're probably thinking, well, I can't be perfect. It's not about that, because only he is that holy. He wants us to be holy in a sense that we need to be set apart from this world. He set us apart so that he can use us for his own purpose. We can't be meddling with the world anymore. We can't be meddling with darkness anymore. We can't be meddling with unbelief and fear and doubt anymore. We need to separate ourselves from the world and consecrate ourselves to God. Now, can you see how that is so important if we are to devote ourselves to God? And you know what? Paul tells us exactly what this entails. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 16, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Paul tells us we cannot have a part with idolatry, with darkness, with the world, with unbelievers, with unbelief. We can't unequally yoke ourselves with that. Meaning we can't be partners like with that because we are now set aside as the temple of God. And Paul continues in verse 16, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk, with, and walk among them. He, we are his temple. That's why when God told Abraham, uh, uh, sorry, not Abraham, but the Israelites in Jeremiah that I will write my law in their hearts, I'm going to live with them. And then he says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's familiar. We saw that last week. This is the covenant that he wants with us. And he says, for that covenant to work, you're going to have to set yourself apart from bad stuff. That's not trying to win your salvation. That is, that is what we are signing up for. 
When we say, we want God, I trust you, I love you, I want to be your people, okay, I am going to set myself apart as you have set me apart. No more worldliness. No more sin. I mean, there's a difference between sinning as a Christian. Like, who among you here does not sin? We all do. But there's a difference between that and living a life of sin. When we live a life of sin, we, we say, well, I'm not really struggling anymore. Right? This is something that I think is now good. It's now correct. And I'm not going to ask God for forgiveness for that because I think it's okay. That is the most dangerous thing that we can ever do in this life. But yeah, we can struggle, but then we include God in it. We pray to God, God, I am wicked. I'm wretched. I sinned. I did it again, Lord. And then I remember, I think it was uh, Jake Weeb who prayed here for the Lord's Supper. He said, your mercies are new every day. Right? Your mercies are new every day. He's going to forgive us. But there's a difference between living a life of sin and sinning. And having the blood of Christ wash us. So what then? Paul continues in verse 17. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. See, next week, Amir is going to uh, tell us about, he's going to preach here, he's going to tell us, about our love for sinners. Very important if you are going to be devoted to God. And then the week after that, Miles is going to wrap up our sermon series as he talks about a key element in devoting ourselves to God. We need to get rid of our distractions. We need to separate ourselves from these distractions that make us unclean for God. Okay? And then what happens next? Then I will welcome you, God says. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. That's why in in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he concludes uh, in verse 1, that since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. We need to bring these, this holiness to completion in the fear of God by cleansing ourselves from all that is not good. Right? That is not our work. That is His work as we obey Him. Now, the second thing that I would like to talk to you about is related to the fact that God is holy. The second nature of God that I want us to really understand is the fact that God is just. He is holy, and He is also just. That means, essentially, and put simply, that God rewards good and punishes evil. That's just. We see in Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints, as you still do. God sees the good work of love that we do for one another. And he's not unjust not to recognize that. Just like what Jesus uh, tells us in his teachings. He says, you know, this idea that, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. Come to my rest. He rewards good. But then God also 
punishes evil. We see that in Colossians 3.25. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. There is no favoritism. God is just. Going back to our lesson last week, do you remember when God promised Abraham that, hey, I'm going to make you the father of many nations? Remember that? Your children are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Remember that? But there is a second promise, second part of that promise. He says, I'm also going to give you the land in which you now live. I'm going to give you the whole of Canaan to your descendants after you. And we understand that 600 years after that conversation, after God promised that, he fulfilled that promise to the Israelites, which are descendants of Abraham, through the leader of Israel at the time, Joshua. And Joshua, it's interesting here that Joshua, before he died, told the Israelites about the justice of God. That the justice of God is this good and bad that we, we can't escape from that because that is who God is. Let's look at that. Joshua 23, verse 14. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. He's about to die. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord God, your, that the Lord God, your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. And then he talks about the good and the bad. In verse 15. But just as the, all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. See, this is, this is the exact reason why we understand God's justice. Because he is faithful. Have you heard of that before? He is faithful. But sometimes we inherently process that idea that God is faithful. Sometimes when we hear God is faithful, I think God is faithful. He's not going to do anything bad to me. It doesn't make sense. Because God being faithful exactly means that. He's going to do exactly what he says he's going to do. Good or bad. And Joshua reminded the people of Israel that. And now for our purposes today, God is holy and God is just. We have to remember that if we are to be devoted to him as people. But the last thing that I want to tell you about the nature of God is that he is also love. See, notice that God is not just loving. He is love itself. In 1 John 4, verse 8, we read that God is love. What does that mean to us today as God's people? Well, benefits. We... uh, Our relationship with God is so amazing because He is love. You know, one of the things that we can say about ourselves, because He is our master, we are His slave. We can say that. Paul said that all the time in his letters. But look at this verse. Because God is love, look at this, Galatians 4, 7. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you also an heir. 
His love for us is incomprehensible. He could easily treat us as slaves. But then because of his love for us, there's this layer in our relationship that God says, you are my children. And I'm going to give you an inheritance when the time comes. That's salvation, that hope of eternal life. And because God is love, listen to this. Jesus treats us as a friend. John 15:14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Isn't that an amazing thing? That closest that we have with Jesus is because God is love. But what does God demand from us because he is love? What is it to us? Well, God says this in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. If we love, that means that we are children of God, born of God. But if we don't love, he who does not love does not know God. Although we tell people, hey, I know God, but if I don't love, I don't know him. Because God is love. So think about that. Holy, just, and love. That's God. And if we look at this verse, I love this verse because it's, it, it puts it in, in perfect uh, perspective for us. Psalm 89 verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. We see the holiness and the justice of God as the foundation of, our, of, of God's throne. Our relationship with God, our, the framework is His commands. But the essence is love. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Everywhere God is, there is love and there is faithfulness. We need to put that in perspective. Because when we see, if I would only see God as somebody who punishes, then I will serve Him, thinking that if I don't do this, if I don't do that, He's going to punish me. He's going to send me to hell. But if I only look at Him as love, I'm going to think, eh, it doesn't matter what I do. He's going to save me anyway. We have to look at God completely who He is. He is holy, He is just, and He is love. And I think it behooves us to really understand with an illustration, with, with a picture, so that we don't forget. Okay? That's the picture right there. I know Dave just sang to us. He led, us, led the song before the sermon. I, I, uh, and in that song, there's this line, Hail, hail, O Lion of Judah. Our Lord is the Lion of Judah. Have you guys seen a lion before? You've probably seen it on TV, National Geographic, maybe in books, right? But Linda and I, uh, maybe in the zoo, right? But Linda and I have had the opportunity to actually go on an African safari, and I'm telling you, lions are fantastic. Like, we were in a high car, in a high vehicle, with the top off, with the roof off. And I was scared of all the animals that we saw. I was scared of the elephants. I was scared of the giraffe. I was scared of the monkeys. I was even scared of the hyenas. I thought hyenas were cool. But I seriously think that if I went there, it was going to eat me. It was crazy. They had crazy eyes, these hyenas. But then we saw a pride of lions. And I am telling you, the majesty of those beings, amazing. They, they uh, require an amount of respect that you don't understand. You can't, you can't just go, hey, look at this line. You can't just do that. But sometimes our view of God is a lion, but it's like this lion right here. We say, oh, look at God. 
What a good God. Good God. That is what we treat God. Because we, we mistakenly assume that, oh, He's love. He's this cute little thing that we can just uh, coddle. It's not that. Let us give God the respect and the reverence that is due God. He is holy. He is just. And He is love. And so as we think about the response that we need to have because of that, let us think of one thing. And I I don't want to... There's a word that I'm going to bring up there. And this is going to be really pretty much our response. It's not cliché, right? Because we can make it cliché. But it is the essence of our relationship with God. Our response is love. I'm going to show you why, okay? In the New Testament, in Matthew, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? You know, the guy who asked is probably thinking, well, he's probably going to say, keep the Sabbath. Or some other commandment. But this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't say, well, the best commandment. It's love. Is commandments. We can't work without standards. If God is a God with no standards, He is not worthy of my service. He's not worthy of my worship. He's not worthy of anything. We're not going to respect Him. But He does have standards. That's the framework of any relationship is rules. But we don't live just thinking about the rules. It's love. I'm going to expand more on that. But knowing that love is our response means that our covenant relationship with Him is fulfilled with love. Romans 13.10, love does, not harm, does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. If I love you, if I love Amir and Kristen, I'm not going to lie to them. I'm not going to hit them or punch them or do harm to them. I'm going to love them. I am going to serve them. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to be compassionate to them. That's why love trumps everything. Everything that we do here without love is nothing. We see that in the love chapter in Corinthians, right? And then we read Colossians 3.14, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Whatever we do, love. Right? Now, you're probably thinking, well, how about holiness? How can we be holy as God is holy with love? Thank you for asking that in your mind. Because there's a verse for that. 1 Thessalonians 3.12-13, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in Love for one another and for all as we do for you. Why? So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Why is love? This is something that we need to really understand. But love doesn't mean, yeah, it's a commandment, but it's okay. No, love behooves us to pay attention to what God tells us. How do we know that? Because of this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And our scripture reading this morning is similar to that. John 14, 23 to 24. Love 
when we really understand what love is, we begin to understand how God's relationship starts with us. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And this is when the relationship starts. Look at this. And my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. How beautiful is that? That's the relationship right there. But if I refuse, if I do what I think is correct, love is not there. The relationship is not there. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Brothers and sisters, we need to really fully appreciate the love that we respond to a holy, that we respond with to a holy, just, and love, and loving God. And to really appreciate this, I know I'm past the time, I understand. But I want to leave you with something that will really cement the idea that I'm trying to convey today. When we are face to face with the commandments of God, what do you think about? When I say commandment, rules, law, what do you guys think? Do you guys cringe? Do you guys go, oh, don't say that, Jay, that's not loving. Do you, are you afraid? Do you go, oh, again, we're talking about this? You know why? Because we have not perfected our minds and our hearts with the love that comes from God. We are still afraid. We're fearful. We have not really responded with love. Because in our relationship with God, if, we, if our relationship with God is all about fear, like why are you here today? Because your parents made you? Because your kids made you? Because you're afraid of what other people are going to say if they don't see you today? That is a relationship with God that's based on fear. But are you here today because you really want to be here? That's a relationship that's based on love. You know, I tell you this all the time, maybe not during a sermon, but I would like to really have you understand this by way of an illustration between a husband and a wife, or a girlfriend, or a boyfriend, or a mother and a child, or a father and a child, whichever your situation is. But for me, I'm going to choose husband and wife, right, for an illustration. Give, for example, my wife. I love her. But if my relationship with her is based in fear, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to think, I need to work. If I don't work, I'm not going to get any money. I can't feed and support my family. And if that happens, Linda's going to break up with me. If I don't take Linda out on a date every week, he, she's going to break up with me. She's going to find some other guy. That relationship is based on fear. It's true that our, the framework of our relationship is based on just social rules that God has put, put in place. I cannot look at another woman. I have to provide for my children, for my wife, love her, cherish her, honor her. All those things are good. But then if I do it out of fear, not good. So what's the alternative? This is the alternative. I need to dwell in that relationship in love. How? Linda asks me, hey, Jake, can we go on a date once a week? I'm going to be like, yeah, just once a week? 
What if we go twice a week? That's love. Love is not looking for the bare minimum. Is that what we do in our relationship with God? Then if that's the case, we cannot be fully devoted to Him. If, our, if, our, if we give to Him our scraps, our bare minimum, not going to work. And if I go on a date with Linda and I go, oh, I don't want to be here. I want to be somewhere else. I want to be, you know, if my friends are watching like, you know, the Avengers, maybe, you know, Marvel, you know, uh, what is that? The new uh, Marvel movie there. The, the lady, the Miss Marvel. I don't, I don't know which Marvel girl. I don't, I don't remember. They're going to watch that and I'm here stuck in a, on a date with my wife. Like, you know, I'm going to text my friends. Oh, I'm in a dessert. I'm just going to gobble up my dessert and I'm going to be there soon. What kind of relationship is that? It's not a relationship. Please understand. I know we're past time. The elders are probably like, <laughs> wrap it up. But please understand that we, need to under, that we need to wrap our minds around this. Right? I'm going to leave you with this verse. 1 John 4:18. There is no fear in love. No fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Let us drive our relationship with God out of love, not out of fear, knowing that He is holy, just, and loving. Thank you for your time. Let's stand and sing the song of invitation.